Hello, and welcome to this FRDH podcast. I'm Michael Goldfarb. This will be a slightly different FRDH than the ones I have done so far. Years ago, I had an idea for a book called Bible Study for Atheists. It was more a commercial concept than anything else. Like too many authors today, I was thinking about what I could sell for a nice advance rather than what I felt compelled to write. Anyway, I put the idea aside and outlined something called Faith Without God. Now, this was a book I really wanted to write. It looked at the coincidence that the first Greek philosophers, Buddha and Confucius, all lived in the same hundred-year period. What they had in common was they were the first thinkers to understand that man is responsible for his own fate, not God or the gods. They created philosophies that today we would call secular. The irony was that their systems of thought were turned into religions anyway. A bit of a stretch to say that about Western philosophy, I know, but I had a way of making it work. Believe me. I was going to write how Alexander's conquest of Palestine brought Greek philosophical methods to Jewish religious thinking, which in turn influenced the writings of the Church Fathers, and I promise you, I was going to make it work. The why of this coincidence was one question I wanted to answer. Were Greeks, Indians, and Chinese in touch around 525 BCE? Short answer, Greeks and Indians absolutely were, and there may well have been contact with the Chinese. The other question I wanted to explore required a more speculative answer. Why did people feel compelled to turn Buddha and Confucius's teachings into religions, when clearly neither man was putting himself forward as an avatar of a new faith? I thought it was a good idea. My former agent thought it was a great idea. No editor thought it was worth a penny. I turned Faith Without God into a two-part radio documentary. You can listen to it at the FRDH website, www.goldfarbpod.com. I don't know. I still think there's a commercial audience for the book. Anyway, the other night, I went through my usual bedtime routines. I made a final check of my Twitter feed to see the latest nuggets of news. It was the day Republicans in the House of Representatives had repealed Obamacare and replaced it with their version, and there were lots of pics of President Trump gloating. Big win! And quotes from him. I closed my laptop down, got into bed, and reached for a book. I had just finished a novel and didn't feel like starting another, so I picked up my copy of the authorized King James Bible, which I keep on my bedside table. I felt like reading a psalm, not for comfort, but for the poetry. The book fell open, literally, it's a big book, to Psalm 52, and I read verse 1. Why boastest thou thyself in mischief, O mighty man? Thy tongue deviseth mischiefs, like a sharp razor working deceitfully. Thou lovest evil more than good, and lying rather than to speak righteousness. The psalm perfectly expressed my feelings watching Trump celebrate the health bill. Whether you're a believer or not, you have to admit the King James has a way with words and takes on the big subjects. I think that's why I frequently dip into it. Thou lovest all devouring words, O thou deceitful tongue. God shall likewise destroy thee forever. He shall take thee away and pluck thee out of thy dwelling place and root thee out of the land of the living. The righteous also shall see and fear and shall laugh at him. 
Lo, this is the man that made not God his strength, but trusted in abundance of his riches, and strengthened himself in his wickedness. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. I will praise thee forever, because thou hast done, and I will wait on thy name, for it is good before thy saints. Reading that psalm, all 167 words of it, made me think once again that Bible study can be useful for atheists also. Hence this podcast. When I came back from covering the first phase of the war in Iraq in 2003, I started reading the Bible again. It was an organic compulsion, perfectly natural and totally irresistible. It surprised me more than a little. I had long since lost my belief in God. I practiced some of the rituals of the Jewish faith in which I was brought up. I fast on Yom Kippur and recite the Avinu Malkenu, the litany of sins for which we Jews ask forgiveness from our Father, our King. I celebrate Passover. I light Hanukkah candles with my eleven-year-old daughter. But these are acts not of faith, but a few moments taken during the course of a year to meditate on the indivisible, elemental core of my identity. I am a Jew. These were the rituals of my parents and grandparents and great-grandparents, three of whom I knew. Yet in 2003, unbidden and without forethought, I found myself needing the Bible. There was something about watching the forces of history in their purest, most violent form that created that need. It didn't take much self-analysis of this new reading habit to figure out the Bible was the one book that encompassed the powerful human forces I had witnessed in Iraq in language that was sufficiently epic and that grappled with experiences I was struggling to understand. I suppose the fact that I was based in Kurdistan, northern Iraq, where so many of the empires associated with the Bible, Chaldean and Assyrian and Persian, had ruled and had observed religious practice that had survived since biblical times, as well as visited Muslim villages where pre-monotheistic fertility rites were still practiced, had also opened me up to reacquainting myself with the book. Luckily, I had a copy of the Bible to hand. I looked at it a few times, mostly to savor the beauty of the language, the poetic books especially. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, has a rhythmic sonority that is as much an expression of faith as the meaning of the words themselves. The words mean, no matter if I'm in mortal danger, I'm not afraid, because I have you to follow and guide me to safety. But the words the translators chose, Valley of the Shadow of Death, are music. Ba, 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 ba. My edition of the Bible, an Oxford University Press paperback, has a scholarly foreword describing the process followed by the committee appointed by King James to translate the book. I read that as well. It also includes the original dedicatory note written by the committee when they presented their work to the king in 1611. Shortly after I came back from Iraq, the man I hired to be my translator during the war was himself murdered. I wrote the story of his life and used a phrase from the translator's note as an epigram to the book. Translation it is that openeth the window to let in the light. 
in 2005, when Ahmed's War, Ahmed's Peace, was being prepared for publication, I once again found myself compelled to open the Bible. This time I sought out lamentations. Again, I have no idea why. Maybe because I had been on assignment in Amsterdam early that year and had stopped in at the Rijksmuseum to look at Rembrandt's Jeremiah lamenting the fall of Jerusalem. It's one of my favorite works of art. In the picture, Jeremiah leans his head heavily into his left hand. His face, as perfectly detailed as a photograph, conveys exhaustion, resignation, and an unbearable sadness, the sheer burden of prophecy. I foresaw and foretold, and no one listened. The face is lit by a diffuse golden glow, the unseen flames of Jerusalem burning. Over and over I read chapter 3 of Lamentations. I am the man that hath seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He hath led me and brought me into darkness, but not into light. Surely against me is he turned. He turneth his hand against me all the day. This was the very opposite of the 23rd Psalm, where the psalmist celebrated being led in paths of righteousness. Now the narrator is led into darkness. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me, is replaced by surely against me as he turned. Same sonorous rhythm, entirely different effect. Then there's chapter 4. The young children ask bread, and no man breaketh it unto them. I was about to become a father for the first time, and that one line spoke to the deepest fear every new parent feels. Will I be able to feed my children? Anyway, I read Lamentations over and over for weeks. Some existential dread made me look at those words. I couldn't figure it out, so I just kept reading. And then I got laid off. My job went away. Two weeks before the birth of my child, I suddenly had no income and no idea where my next penny would come from. That line of dark poetry, the young children ask bread, and no man breaketh it unto them, was suddenly my reality. In the ensuing decade I have returned to the book, sometimes by compulsion, sometimes out of mere curiosity. I do not read the Bible systematically. There's an I Ching quality to my dipping in and out. It leads to serendipitous moments like the book falling open to Psalm 52, completely by chance. Or it can lead to rereading the familiar and coming up with an insight. I read the creation story again and was struck by what it says about how the founders of monotheism viewed the human condition. According to the Bible, what is the first human emotion? The answer is shame, because after eating of the forbidden fruit, Adam and Eve understood they were naked and felt ashamed, so they clothed themselves. Knowledge leads to shame. Bible study for atheists teaches that. In Genesis chapter 9, Noah's sons cover his nakedness without looking at their father. They too feel shame in naked flesh. Shame is a core tenet of our civilization, and we live in times that are utterly shameless. Now, certainly the current president of the United States has no shame. But as a modern Jewish sage has written, even the president of the United States sometimes must have to stand naked. 
When I started FRDH Podcast, I thought I would occasionally do Bible study for atheists, in part because it's a way of recounting history. I don't think the Bible is divinely revealed, but it is a draft of the history of our civilization. And, like I said, even atheists need faith sometime. So please let me know if you would like the podcast to do occasional Bible study for atheist sessions. And that's all for this episode of FRDH Podcast. Thanks for listening. You can hear more, lots more, at the website www.goldfarbpod.com and you can make a donation. Please do to keep the podcasts coming.